namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa bhutam dhammam sankham nisam Been, um, been talking about emptiness in the last few sessions and there are very different ways in which one can take this um, to, um, to sort of kind of I would say obvious things like um, seclusion um, quietness a uh, sense of being in an empty place where one isn't, isn't uh, there's no pressure and there's not a lot of activity. You know, quality of kaya viveka. If you like, one isn't jumping out of the sense doors. So you can open them. You don't have to you know, keep them open. You don't have to go running out of them. Every <laughs> sight or sound or touch or taste, you can go out and run out of it. Oh, what's this about? And you know, drag it back in again. Um, like a like a Hijacker. <coughs> so that's, that's the Kayavi Vaker, empty in that sense. Um, empty is coming up in that sense. Chitri Vaker, sense of the, the mind finding some space, uh, dwelling in a quality of, of, of silence in itself, or uh, feeling more spacious. The mind isn't rattling around like a gerbil on a treadmill. Or a, is, um, kind of find something to do, something to be, something not to be, something to think about, something to stop thinking about. You know, kind of ag- agitation, where it seems so incredibly pressurized and tight in there. And so, when we have mind feels like that, then no matter where we are, in the middle of a forest or something, we suddenly feel there's no space at all. The emptiness feels maybe around, not with that. You know. so the, kind of like the inner. Our thoughts, perceptions, memories, wishes, drives um, crowd out. Let's say the inner quality of spaciousness. Um, one is the outer quality of seclusion, and the mind is still untamed. Then we can we can feel very much um, overwhelmed and frazzled. And sometimes, if we're not really clear about that, we think, well, you know, that's the problem is there's all these people around here, you know, you just um, displace that onto, onto situations, which actually, one doesn't have to, um, you know, get involved or engaged, you know, can't expect to kind of wipe everybody else off the planet so that I can meditate better, but how to be able to kind of see people, hear people, and just stay, you know, without having to kind of run out through the sense doors or get um, kind of jangled by it all. Jitta what this monastery is called. Um, mm-hmm. And then this Vipadi um, Viveka deals with the residue, the sense of 
presence of being something, which normally gets uh, um, is displaced into particular activities or thoughts or you know roles, things like external things. You know, I am person who does this, I am in this position, I look like this, I go here, this is where I live, it's kind of an external uh, level, or the subtler level, you know, I am these moods and thoughts and feelings, the jitta level, or jitta sankara level, and then it comes to just the sense of, well, you know, I am something, and that, and that, kind of, that itself is, um, is uh, called the substrate, the basic core quality of, of Baba of being something which is actually the, the, the source for a re- rebirth when other things pass away there's still this kind of unquenched uh, I amness which then seeks uh, further becoming and this of course um, <coughs> trying to empty this is, is the most uh, is is a refined and and uh, task, and everything that we do on other levels is to help us to understand the process of, of emptying. You know, rather than to just linger or say, "Oh, this is nice. I found a quiet hut. This is mine. I've got it right now. I won't be bothered." You know, just linger in that as if that's the end, or even I know I'm in a quiet meditative, meditative mind state. You know, my mind is calm and peaceful. I want to stay with this. No. Not that these, these are these are all possible. These are hopefully these can be for our benefit. But you're recognizing that Kaya Viveka and Chitta Viveka themselves are really stepping stones towards this Upadi Viveka, which is to let to empty to know how to empty out the sense of self. So in Kaya Viveka we empty, if you like, our sense of attachment to the external sense contact. Chitta Viveka to the internal mental activity mm. you know, so that with samadhi for example or with solitude one can sometimes f- forget you know, the process that makes that possible <coughs> and really you know, and dwell in that and make much of that and learn from that you know. so for example if you have to live in solitude um, you know as to have quite a lot of uh, I mean, most people find it really difficult with particular, there's nothing to no particular things to do, you know, nothing to plug in, tune into. So the, the sense of being at one has actually learned how to <coughs> let go or to empty out a particular pull, a particular habit, a particular assumption, a particular compulsion. You know, that that uh, for for many people is so. You know, it's so switched on, it's so plugged in that particular energy that to to consider or to try to live apart from that is really quite uh, daunting. Mm-hmm. So, so learning, you know, that, that, that that's doable. We can do that. We grow in that gradually. The ability to do that, um, and then we can often because we've been able to develop the mind, you know, so we can dwell in the car peaceful mind or a quiet mind or a mind that's interested in the processes of feeling and perception and thought and mood and so on. It's willing to take them on you know, and to work with them, the, the, the waves of them, the avalanches of them, you know, the process.
process that we go through is not not really like a ladder. It's more like just waves of where you just kind of go logically from one step to the next, but you begin to sustain certain qualities. And it's always that ability to sustain through that wave of grief or the wave of pain or the wave of restlessness and pulling of it. Yeah, even when one doesn't feel one's particularly calm or bright, just being able to, to maintain through that wave till it passes. So this, this, we, in a way, there's a certain quality of of emptying that occurs around that. In that. Instead of trying to hold out against it and stop it being there, and trying to kind of create a wall against that, so I don't feel the agitation or the restlessness or that the craving. Just being able to hold a, like an open space that allows that to pass through. And this is actually pretty standard you know, practice. For instance, we're, we're not frightened of the waves anymore. And we don't get into compulsive habits of either blocking them or riding them. Because of course the other extreme one doesn't block it as the wave comes along some <coughs> kind of sense desire or um, then we just follow it. You know, I feel like doing this. You know, fancy a bit of that. I want one of those. Mm-hmm. You know, so it can, you know, or restlessness, doing something, fiddling around with things. Um, so just contemplating that. Mm. So one you know, generating a kind of an openness of non-holding that and humility that acknowledges those kind of waves of agitation as they arise and it's like a cloud one's mind becomes like like mist these things touch it but they pass through can pass through and then uh, it's like one begins to empty out the sense of self as being either you know in in a particular condition you know, like I'm always bright and positive and on the ball and you know or as a particular either as a particular state or a particular agency like I can do this I sit down and boom 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 step three and there I am you know to smile willing to let go of that um, not that one relinquishes those those uh, those techniques and skills we've learned but one recognizes yeah this is what I do and sometimes the conditions are favourable and sometimes they're not. You know. It doesn't stop me doing it, but I also recognise that it's not just through a matter of will alone that these things, you know, fruitions occur. Sometimes it's just the weather is tough. Stuff is just coming up and I get to step one, step two, and oof, here comes the wave. And it's just a matter of, of then the, the quality of, of faith and also growing confidence and wisdom that is all right. No need to run away. No need to freeze. No need to complain about oneself or think one's practice is falling apart. No need to adopt a view. Just open, bear the wave, feel it. And this is so. This is all the way in which, which psycho, spiritual, physical, whatever it is, this these phenomena that are coming out of the residual core of our. And what we what we carrying you know, begins to break loose, and it just comes floating up, and you release it. This is emptying the core, 
Uh, so this is, you know, rather like gradually descaling a kettle or something. Where this crud starts to come off and break, break loose, and it comes. Water looks pretty murky. You know, when you when you start to to break the lime scale off, it's pretty murky and cloudy. But you're okay. It doesn't look great. You don't want to drink it. But you keep em- emptying and pouring it away, pouring it away, pouring it away. So this both is emptying in terms of emptying out the residues. It also empties out the sense of self based upon either a particular state of mind or, or a sense of competence in achieve or, or in being someone who can automatically achieve certain things who are going through particular procedures. Um, and also... Um, a way of which we hold our attention. Mm. Yeah. I noticed myself that um, um, for one reason or another, somehow, um, my, I, I hold attention quite strongly, I've always held it quite strongly and quite easily. You know, it's natural, I feel. Yeah. In that... Um, I tended to just quite quickly move past, uh, you know, when I meditate and quite quickly drop out of the sensory stuff, you know, drop into a, into a, into a relatively quiet or calm place or inward place. I'm a, I'm a deep feeder, like a tench, you know, rather than, rather than on these fish on the surface. I tend to go to the bottom quickly. I like a bottom feeder. I like all the kind of dark residues down there. <laughs> oh, the little things that jump and fly on the surface. And there, there's plenty of dark residues down there as well. <laughs> but it's quite natural for me to have a certain gravity, if you like, in my attention. It goes into things strongly, fairly easily, when it's chosen to. Um, so, you know, just noticing last this week or so, actually becoming lighter, just deliberately not pushing in, not doing that. You know. Not that I particularly go out to seek things, but just staying at a much lighter level of attention, just, to, just, to, just so that I can review the process more thoroughly. Like how, do, how does that process of, of attention happen, mm. of the deepening of attention happen? Uh, and I notice that actually, if, I, if I'm not so firm, not so strong in that, in that, that deepening, that there are all kinds of little waves and ripples on the surface that normally I just plummet through, plunge through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and then staying at that level and letting them all wave, feeling the waves, the sense of loneliness, sense of, I've got to do this, sense of, I don't want to do this. You know, which normally doesn't occur for me, I just go you know, in. And uh, feeling of being on my own feels uncomfortable. Um, um, sense of you know having to do a, a task like an hour of walking meditation feels oh dear um, and the sense of that you know feels kind of quite insecure in a way and that's that's unusual it's strange for me because it's something that um, occurs at a particular surface level of the mind and normally I, I move past very quickly I'm interested in it and um just meeting waves that occur there and the way 
not getting attached to, a, to one particular mode of, mode of attention, which is my particular habit. What's it like when the attention is lighter? Uh, and still, you know, the, the intention is very much into, you know, passing through the waves, letting them pass, opening up, receiving them, actually receiving more the, the painfulness of it, um, rather than going into my burrow, as it were. And I'm interested in that because, particularly, because of being a um, having a, being a bottom feeder by nature, um, noticing that uh, life very often like, like, yanks me to the surface anyway, um, and then there's a bit of a thrashing, thrashing around. You know, so you know, getting into a very deep place, and then there's maybe something to do, or something needs to be attended to, you know, and then there's you know, being pulled up, you know, and there's a kind of takes a while before I'm actually all oh right. I'm thinking again, and oh yeah, right, and then, and then moving again, uh, and then there's a sort of sense of oh, broken, to get back again. You know. There's always that pattern you know, of being pulled to the surface. On the surface, okay, fine, you know, as it is, and yet um, there's a there's a strong differentiation between surface and depth. And if the movement between the two is an uncomfortable one, particularly going from the depth to the surface is uncomfortable. In the sense of how how um, coarse it feels, you know, just that thinking feels coarse, you know, clunky, you know, like and you're kicking over dustbins in a back alley somewhere, you know, and volition. Oh, here you go again, you know, nothing to care about and worry about and figure out and push towards inclusion. You know, so nice when it wasn't when that stopped. <coughs> so it feels like being thrown out of something that was quite soft and silky into something that's bristling and prickly. And um, and it takes a while to actually get back in the swing on that surface level. So strong differentiation between the surface and depth. So I'm interested in working out you know that level of aversion or difficulty meeting the waves there so in a way it's actually coming into sense contact as an activity when one chooses when one wishes not to <coughs> rather than when one wishes to when one wishes not to or one's, one's mind is set on other things so the, the hold of a particular mode of attention. And so okay, now I can, you know, um, holding on to a particular mode of attention, begin to empty that out. It doesn't have to be this or that. I don't have to be at this place or that place. It becomes some deep place or a surface place. It's just depth or surface. It doesn't have to be held. Because uh, this, the assumption or the background assumption is, this, on the surface, it must be all attachments and, and you know, pointless, futile activity. Because the depth is all really good, meaningful stuff. And <coughs> if that, you know, that's the case, um, I think that's it's a, a matter of one's practice and training, not actually the way the way it fundamentally is. You know, as long as one hasn't really cultivated. Understanding contact and impression, 
um, then yes, it is a place of uh, where one gets lost and confused. Uh, and I wouldn't say that those tendencies are something I've completely extinguished anyway. You know, tendencies to get caught eventually, you know, worry, doubt, something like that. <coughs> but so it seems to me that you know, just learning also to empty out the, the mode of hold the selfhood in attention, you know, both in the content and in what's held and the way that one holds one's focus. There are, so this um, is letting go of these particular signs of, of, of aversion, fascination, resentment, confusion. Uh, and these particular signs are nimitas. Deliverance is called the signless or the unnimitter. So all, all qualities of release, liberation, True seeing, true realizations, clarity are called animita, signless. They are free of these particular signs, which are characteristics or marks. Um, you know, where there's where there's something can find a footing, something can get going. They're like handholds for Mara. They can get grips and. Animita. So, all the this is another aspect of the general area of what's called uh, um, of the emptying process. So, three three doors to to to, to liberation are called the, the, the that which has no wishes or desireless, that which has no mark or nimitta, and that which has no um, self. Sometimes called the the void or the shunyata. Um, the other, is, which is the understanding anatta. Um, so this is the so the three deliverances: the uh, wishless deliverance, the signless deliverance, and the selfless or empty deliverance of the heart. Mm. And so all these kind of are interrelated. Three through contemplating three characteristics. Uh, first characteristics of wishless is through contemplating the sense of dukkha. The frustration, the the um, meager satisfaction that's awarded to to uh, to phenomena, the phenomena award one, the kind of scanty food of it, the unsatisfiable quality of of phenomena. And the meter is there is their ephemeral nature that they really are all phenomena, really nothing but waves, rather like a. You know, they're not particles, they're really more like wavicles. They feel like things, but they're more like <coughs> vibrational tendencies. And that's so that one can actually f- feel them like that. They kind of, if, so the wave comes up and it maybe starts to, if you, if the mind lingers on it or is held by it, it begins to form into something like, you know, irritation or aversion. And then, and then various other formulations begin to occur around it. It takes a form. But at first, it's just that sense of, of contact, you know, which causes a, a shimmer, and then around that, these signs gradually accrue. It could be excitement, you know, certain excitable, which tends towards fascination, which tends towards uh, greed, delight, and so forth. Or it could be something that's more um, you know, a ripple that tends towards, um, you know, not being pleased, or not, and then irritation, ill will, fear, 
anger, resentment, whatever, you know, and they form these signs, it becomes very um, characteristic. But if we can contemplate just the shimmering of, of things, um, or even when they're not, when they're pretty glutinous, they don't seem very ephemeral, then within that apparent gluiness of our stuck stuff, to begin to investigate, to see, well, you know, it still has got some change in it. You know, it changes from various degrees of passion, the images that come up, the moods that come up with it. It's actually, even it's seething, it's still got a movement in it. Uh, and so that helps to free up our way of um, substantiating these things, making them concrete, making them I am making them something that's always present for me, making them something that's stuck in me, recognizing these phenomena occur, these ripples, these waves come up through particular contact impressions, through particular residual activities that we have, residual reactivities we have and memories we have, and um, they, they pass. They're not actually self. They, are, they create us rather than we create them. This is a sign, then the realization is signless. And uh, shunyata, sunyata comes really in, in understanding the, the um, <coughs> selfless yeah. quality of phenomena. They don't belong. There's nothing that belongs to, to some core being. Even that very sense of reaching or craving or wanting or not wanting, you know, to whom does that belong? The sense of not being able to, who does that belong to? In itself, it's that. And through not being able to hold that wave or bear that wave or even face that wave, you know, when we just ca- when it catches our attention sideways, then it gives this impression of this is mine, I have it, I am it, I belong to it, it's stuck in me. Because we, the, our culture, our cultivation has not been able to open to that sense of the, the wanting to belong, to have, to be. And it's open so that the thing can pass through. And this requires um, particular qualities of cultivation around intention, our, our volitional drive, our wishes, our directives, mm. the way that we go for things or go away from them or run away from them or move away from them, sidestep them, block them, the strategies. All this is to do with volition. Particular cultivation of volition. Particular cultivation of of how we hold or how we hold things in attention Ten, you know, so the way, the way that we firm up something the way that we remain um, at a particular distance at a particular focus on, our, uh, on what phenomena occur it can be a sense of you can feel your mind actually trying to hold something at arm's length you know. uh, so sometimes this sense of being the watcher can be um, get frozen, uh, whereby you, you, know, you, you watch things, but it's actually not, they're, they're not really resolving anything, because that 
the sense of watching is actually a holding of attention in a particular way that that's trying to put a glass between me and what's happening. You know, so like like watching a fish in a tank or something, or watching a, uh, a creature in a cage. You know, I'm out here looking at that in there, um, and there's a certain you know, way in which when we hold attention like that. Um, the phenomena we may feel a certain quality of, of distance or dispassion but phenomena are not necessarily released that way because um, what what maybe is lacking is the sense of is there still this sense of of um, separation you know, I am other than this or trying to be other than this So that the meditator becomes born to, for their own um, lifespan of trying and uh, frustration and success and failure and so on. Mm. This is is the residue, the upadi sense of I am. A, a different kind of handling has to be cultivated. I don't say this is easy or immediate, but a different kind of handling has to be cultivated. I think this is where um, we can begin to see how emptiness is also related to compassion. Uh, it's said of the Lord Buddha that he had two particular abiding places. One was the sunyata vihara, the complete emptiness, and the other was the mahakaruna, the great compassion. So that his own practice would be being a Buddha, his own practice of being Buddha, that was big enough, I imagine. (laughs) (laughs) But so, (laughs) take that one on. But uh, uh, one aspect of it was that he'd always. He'd receive people at particular times of the day. I mean, this is legendary, so you know. But, and then, he, particularly in particular hours of the night, he'd receive devas who wanted to come and talk, and you know, various celestial beings. And he'd say, "Okay, that's it. You know, out closing time. <laughs> Shut down for the night." And, he, and then he'd always have this time when he's just in the shunyata vihara, you know, like not available for nothing. You know, not one, not a Brahma, nothing. You know, not a single phenomenon. Just out, out. And so then, then he'd come out from that, and he'd be. And he, the first thing he'd come into is the compassion, sense of the great compassion would be his his doorway back into into you know formless into the form realm or the sense realm. For the great compassion, there is the volition. The first volition that arises is is how to how to touch in, in a in a way that's not wanting anything um, but um, it's compassionate so it's always said you survey the, the threefold world system you know, with the great eye of compassion well, where can I be of service here what, who, who's, whose time is right you know? and so just to kind of contemplate that because you can also see from the suttas the Buddha comes across very much as, as someone who was he was quite. He was keen on. He was keen on solitude. Recommended it. 
He was not a great um, socialite. In the Mahasunyata Sutta, he says, um, you know, he's talking to Ananda, who is a bit of a chatterbox, apparently. He likes to get into a bit of a kind of uh, snug social bonding scene. Um, with, you know, the bhikkhus are making robes and having cheery time together. And he's a bit fond, too fond of this, apparently, for the Buddha's rec- reckoning anyway. So he said to Ananda, look, you know, I see people all, all day and after night too, and celestial beings. But whenever I see them, I see them the intention of just dealing with business and then dismissing them. You know, that's enough. Thank you. you know, I'm giving you the message. This is this is what you needed. You know, fine. Next, <laughs> whatever. So, you know, the Buddha was maybe greatly compassionate. It was also a very there's great clarity there. You know, it wasn't he wasn't seeking to have a cozy evening with a Brahma. Or, or whatever, you know. but very much to do what was helpful, and then right now you have this, and that's fine now, you know, go off and get on with it. So he's laying this line down for Ananda in, in the great sutta on voidness. Ability to both hold something and then relinquish it. Hold it willingly, pick it up willingly, and let it go. Almost the same gesture, the picking up and the relinquishment, you know. Occurring, so when the picking up of the of what had to be done is the relinquishment of you know privacy or other other possibilities, I willingly pick this up, and then now it's finished. Now I willingly relinquish it. You know. um, this is to me is, is you know a really really beautiful thing to contemplate. Someone that lives like a like a river, you know, just whatever rises is felt and. You know, there's no stick, no thing sticks there, nothing solidifies, it just flows on. And so the picking things up is the great compassion, isn't it? Not uh, sentimental, uh, but that which earnestly seeks for the welfare. So I feel that training oneself in this way is part of intrinsic part of emptiness. So being able to make one's attention that which can is pliable, is is not held by the sense of mine. This is for me. This is mine. That kind of held in that way. So you know, which which. It's, it's it's not held. So then the uh, and the training in that how to take on the presence of phenomena completely, like what is required here. This is a scullery. What is required here? This is a, a thought. What is required here? This is a physical feeling. What is required here? What, what is needed? What's suitable? Nothing getting in the way. Now, when we when we meditate. Uh, 
results of this or practicing like this. So compassion, I think, is not purely something that's to do with you know, social service as such, but it's the ability, in a way, to empty oneself into what is needed, necessary, what, what is skillful, appropriate. Take it up, pick it up. And so that sense of holding things without the five hindrances. And so the ability to let them go completely, whether they, um, as the Buddha, in many of his occasions, you know, they weren't all winners. You know. uh, as he picks something up, give it complete attention, complete care and attention, person walks away, didn't get it at all. Buddha wasn't kind of, oh dear, why did he do that? You know? Remember, they, they occasionally taught these 60, these whole Sangha, Bhikkhus taught them a super kamatan, an attractiveness of the body, goes into retreat, his own practice of solitude comes out, finds that 60 of them or so have killed themselves. Imagine, you know, if any of us had done that, we might have thought, oh my god, 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 oh my Someone says you talk too long and you get bored. I find it difficult enough, and then got to kill themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then a whole, you know, Buddha comes out of retreat. Oh, Sangha's looking a bit thin these days. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll go, and they say, "Oh, well, Lord, they would follow your instructions. They will top themselves." I said, "No, oh, Tish, <laughs> misguided men." I'll teach the Manapanasati. End of end of story. I mean, that's there's some letting go there. <laughs> so I was able to, you know, pick things up, recognise sometimes they don't work, but it wasn't his intention. You know, sometimes conditions weren't right, or people missed the point, or whatever. Okay. So I think this is really things to reflect on in terms of say, trying to do the best one can. You know. okay, well, be careful of that. Just try to do what's the best that conditions can allow right now. Either your own bodily conditions, your own health conditions, you know, what's available here in this monastery at this time, what's like in Britain in the winter time. It's like, you know, when one's mind gets stuck in hindrances and, you know, your body's in pain or it's early years of training, then maybe the best you can is to be something that's not just a, an idea, which is, you know, which makes the sense of I am into some incredible tyrant that's beating you up. For something that recognises right, these are the conditions and to thoroughly work with them and enter into them, rather than to, you know, go into the gloom or the overestimation experiences. And in this there is an unpeeling of resentment and fear and worry. There is a shedding off of the sense of mistrust and uh, hauntedness that can, can gather around that sense of I am. Now we can 
when we become more attuned to, to uh, processes of mindfulness, we can find, you know, this is the body. This is the, you know, we can live just the getting into the body, sense of the body. And the first one gets into body, we tend to think of it or feel it very much as the external sense contact. And so one can get quite into, well, you know, trying to get the body to feel, to be as fit or as you know, right posture, you know, the whole kind of cushion. Zafu, um, uh, charade that goes on, you're finding exactly the right Zafu, puffing them up and trimming them down, puffing them up and trimming them down. Two cushions, one cushion, no cushion, half a cushion, three cushions, cushion made of sand, cushion made of lead, cushion made of uh, fluff, cushion made of foam, cushion made of down. Hydraulic cushion, air cushion, water cushion, <laughs> cushion under one knee, two knees, round my neck, up my chin. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere cushions. I, I see you go on these long long retreats, I've seen people wheeling the most amazing gear. <laughs> In the, in the States, you know, these kind of incredible cushion technologies, this whole stuff comes out, you know, whole thrones of cushions. <laughs> but eventually this gets, I would, I think this gets a lot tedious. You know. Well, you know, maybe there's another way we can look, feel the body, perhaps it's just a little bit less than that, you know, sort of somewhat inside all that, where one's got to make one's peace with, with, uh, with pain. And one's actually opened up enough um, channels in the, in the subtle body. You know, you feel, oh, the pain is out there, and I'm in here. You know, just a little bit back from that, and I can work with the, the discomforts and the painfulness until it's like we kind of live a little bit under that level of, of, of contact. You know, we can feel more the energy of the body, or the earth, we call the earth element, just the sense of solidity or the warmth of the body. These simple elemental experiences: earth, air, fire, water, and space in the inner space of the body. So you get that, you know, and you have that as a reference. And you can feel then, at this particular place, you can feel the, you know, that how mental effects, what we thought were mental effects, are also bodily in this sense. You said even the thoughts start to send some kind of tremble across it, across that particular. Um, lev- um, experience of body. Certainly, if it's a strong, passionate thought, an angry thought, you can feel that whole thing tighten up. Okay, you know, or it's sad, you can all flatten down. So you begin to explore. Well, where am I in body? You know? So you know, where, where, where are particular senses? So I feel sometimes, you know, the whole um, duty and ought to. Um, psychology, I can feel it right across my back. Shoulders, you know, on my back. Mm -hmm. Feel it back there, you know. And then um, other other things, grief tends to go in the, into the, the abdominal region, kind of churning, gutted feeling. <laughs> and then there can be quite bright things also, like bright things in the chest region, of aspirations and joyfulness. Yeah. Anyway, um, just to recognise this particular level, uh, which is, is resonant with certain 
effects that we assume were pure. So you have that. And then you also have the level of mental effect itself. Well, we tend to think of the mind as a thinking machine. But when the thoughts are subdued or die down or just come occasionally, you know, feeling the, the swelling and swirling of, of mentality, that's its it's, it's lifting up, it's quality of arousal, interest, it's quality of recoiling, it's a certain sense in which you can feel the mind is unwilling, you know, or frightened, or, or dry, you know, ungiving, soured, you know, or bright, and loving, expansive, you feel that the jitter is contracting, or bright, or extended senses to it. And this is beneath the level of thought, which can be you start at the level of thought, we just jing, 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 chattering away. And really, you know, I can be at that level. I don't know what I'm feeling, actually. No, I feel happy or anything. I just kind of, it doesn't, that's, doesn't really, that's out of it. It's just, <laughs> like a typewriter. You know. Chattering about as much feeling as that. So it's a while to actually get beneath that. I feel, what's a feeling anyway? You know. It takes a little while to actually get underneath that. Oh, I'm angry, actually. I don't know if I feel angry. What am I angry about? And then, it was, you know, it does not, obviously it's not that kind of much anger, otherwise it would, I'd be able to feel it. It's kind of subtle, irritated crabbiness there. Oh. Hmm. And then, um, so, you know, sometimes it's a sense of, of um, tenderness and with, you know. Concern and tenderness. So at that level, and one can recognise these two poles, if you like, and how they they play against each other. These mirror effects of the subtle body and the subtle or subtler mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, kind of the jitta sankara and the kaya sankara, you know, the activations of this subtle body, and subtle mind, and in between. There's a quality, more like presence, which, as one begins to attune to the to the to the to the subtle body and the subtle mind, you can also you can recognize in that quality of attuning. There's a sort of a, you know, as something else, something in between that, like a quality of presence, which begins to open up from being just the merest whisper or the merest silence or the merest openness or the merest sense of spaciousness. You know, just that sense which is kind of allowing space for those mental effects or those bodily things, not reacting, not going out into bodily action, not going out into mental thoughts and, and churning, but actually quality of opening and emptying around those experiences. You find it in between or somewhere in that middle, there's this much more primary state of just presence. I call it presence, want of a better word. <coughs> and so this is where we begin to recognise how the sense of what's called name and form arises. The form arises as that movement towards the bodily um, sense. Name or designation arises that, as that movement towards the mental sense, which involves the remembering, the acknowledging, the receiving, the handling, the formulations around experience, well that we call the mental sense. You know? And so phenomena tend to 
you know, from that primary quality of, of consciousness, then you get this bifurcation into name, form. You know. And the likelihood is that one will tend to go into one or the other. You know, probably most often we go into the, we just or move rapidly between the two. We think about something, then we touch into it, and we think about it a bit more, feed it out, and we just kind of bounce around between name and form. So, and the Buddha talked of the the, the um, ceasing of this, where that particular experience doesn't have to be where we're at. We can be where that that's ended or broken up or finished or stopped. And this is called you know, uh, trackless consciousness. And it doesn't actually pick up these particular movements into signs and tracks where, where the sense of self is um, you know, stuck onto experiences. We take a position. And this is you know, being able to uh, find that, that inner presence that just you know that, that relates to mental this mental effect that relates to the bodily effect and I would say it relates in the manner of emptiness and compassion yeah. and think where how, how clumsy words are you know something that is both it has that sense of like a river it, you know you drop into it but it doesn't it doesn't take it doesn't become you you know you're with things, but you're not in them. Mm. River moves on. Throw whatever you like, and the river moves on. But it doesn't reject what's arisen. So, it, when the noticing in the um, when when the Buddha talked on emptiness, he talked in terms of both the world of external form, you know, places, forests, so forth, and then something more slightly more subtle than that: earth, air, fire, water. And then talking on the level of, of more subtle levels of mental things like subtle levels of perception and so on. And in, he also re- referred in the, in the first sutta, the Majjhima, the Mula Pariyaya sutta, he says, in this, you know, someone who's really accomplished does not conceive. And this is where the word conceit comes from, not pride so much as conceiving. Does not conceive earth is mine, does not conceive himself in earth, does not conceive himself apart from earth. Yeah. So that, that I think, uh, you, know, you know, you think, I never thought of earth as mine, or I am earth, but <laughs> it's very cryptic. But it's really talking the whole world of subtle form, you know, as, it, as it's experienced, it, you know, is something whereby one doesn't feel that sense of belonging to it, or being it, and here I think it's very significant of being apart from it. it does not say I am other than earth. And then in this list, you know, does not get into, you know, whatever jhana it is and say I am this, this is mine, or I am other than this. And that last bit, I am other than, seems to be where the compassionate aspect of emptiness comes in. I do not stand apart from this phenomenon. I'm with this phenomenon. I'm open to it. I'm not seeking anything in it, but I'm being with this. And the ability to do that. Then he says, someone who's cultivated this has, has let go, finished with aversion and with 
greed and with delusion. Um, so someone who's done this has no more, they have n- there's nothing more for them to be done, to do. So the, the, both the sense of restraining one's attention from feeding on phenomena, from seeking something in phenomena, and also from despising, rejecting, taking a stand, saying, I am other than this, or imagining one can be other than this. So it's very much like in the moment, the way that you know, when, when the river uh, something enters it and the river does not stand back recognises the plop and, and the ripple and the wave and lets it go you know. it just does that you know. it doesn't stay in a plop it doesn't have a rigid wave either it just uh, through totally allowing that wave the wave waves itself and waves goodbye the river keeps flowing. This is, to me is, is where the cultivation of compassion is very significant. And it's not, certainly not a sentiment to make everything all right, you know, or to try to necessarily evoke particular um, moods or feelings. It comes from this quite residual, but quite <coughs> primary, but uh, very skillful cultivation. And then with the, so with these two or these two aspects of this practice, then no sign is is held to or uh, rejected. There's no particular. It's like you know, like you try and write on water. You can run your finger through it and you can write your name on it, but it, it does not stay there. But it, you can still only stick your finger in it and write whatever you like there. You can say whatever you like to it to a river, you know put your mouth in it and scream or howl or say cute things or whatever and it ripples and moves on it does not retain signs so whatever we're working with then there's that need to, to train and cultivate so that one can feel um, one is testing and cultivating and strengthening one's ability to to let go of delight of the agitation the movement out onto the sensory world the scurrying in the sensory world the burrowing into it the fearing of it and one can uh, so that when one becomes confident and more clear about one's intentionality and can rest in that intentionality then one can say one's intentionality has little to do you don't have to keep pushing it it can be much subtler it's more re- reflective yeah. and when one's attention has become something that is willing able to sustain itself able to rest on an object able to withdraw from an object able to spread over an object able to become pinpoint an object I say one's attention has not much more to do there's not a lot to do 
Right? So we don't have to. But I think what is then important is that one's intention and attention becomes something that can actually resonate with the experience. So your intention is very much like what's needed, what's helpful, what's really happening for me at this moment. Where's the pressure coming from? Where's the tightness coming from? Where's the you know, where's that coming from? Where's the drive coming from? And then you know what is what is for the purely purely for the welfare. What, what brings this thing to its completion? What gives it the space? So I mean, one's attention has to be very wide and open and quiet. Or maybe it has to be quite close and playful and investigate what we're doing, work with it. But whichever you're doing, it's always coming from that, that the place of emptiness and compassion. And these are the finest things cultivate. And if one does these, I think there's nothing more that one can do or needs to be done.